Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello everyone, it's Ani Abadisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. Hello, martini heads, and a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's brainwashed, intellect-squashed, truth-whitewashed, everyone-is-talking-hogwash, surreal little world. As always, we try to do this with as much grace and empathy as is humanly possible on any given day. We are not always successful, I'll admit to that. But on this show, the show that likes to examine sin while drinking gin, we feel honour-bound to give it our best shot, and shots are what we do best on Metaphysical Martini. We love, we adore the Holy Spirit and its mysterious ways. We also love a cocktail shaker filled with tankerays. Our rally cry is awaken, O oh my people. Do not follow the path of the sheeple and do not give our God cause to weeple. We are politically incorrect because we do not wish to erode our intellect. We value common sense, common decency and common courtesy because we are sole sovereign beings free thinkers, recreational plinkers, dedicated to life, liberty, and the expansion of universal consciousness. And we are not afraid to say God bless America, land that we love. America has a sacred purpose, one we have explored in past podcasts and will no doubt be exploring in future podcasts, especially with July the 4th coming up around the corner. Oh, my darlings, my sweet darlings, what an almighty mess we are in today. People running around, willingly injecting themselves with experimental bioweapons and boasting about it. Hey, look, everyone, I did the thing that is killing thousands of people and making over a million and counting very sick. Look, here's a picture of me on social media proudly displaying my propaganda-induced madness with a little sticker above my head saying, not dead yet. And these are the same people who are insulted when I suggest that perhaps they're feeble-minded and brainwashed. They seem to think I'm insulting them. And, of course, that is not the case at all. Because quite apart from the fact that I'm just lovely... It is not in my nature to set out to insult someone just for the heck of it. It's not mature. If I did 
consciously set out to insult someone. I suspect it would take them a year of intense therapy to get over it. So no, that's not my MO. When I say feeble-minded and brainwashed, that's exactly what I mean. I mean they have been brainwashed and now their minds are feeble, as in ineffective, ineffectual, unsuccessful, inadequate, unconvincing, implausible, unsatisfactory, poor, weak, inept, tame, paltry, shallow, thin, flimsy, insubstantial, futile, useless, pointless, and quite possibly fruitless. If you allow someone else to do your thinking for you, the result is that you are brainwashed, as in indoctrinated, conditioned, re-educated, persuaded, propagandized, influenced, inculcated. One has to be the queen of synonyms these days, you see, because nobody understands plain English. It's a statement of fact. That's all it is, folks. It is my opinion, a conclusion I have reached after engaging in vigorous mental athleticism. My mind, unlike some parts of my body, is my own. It's flexible and live, not part of the hive. So if my comments provoke you, and I know they do because you keep writing to me and telling me that they do, if my comments provoke you, darlings, try adjusting your trigger pull weight. I never set out to offend, but I will speak my truth till the end, because it is my sworn duty as a shaman to do just that. If you see your friends, people that you love, people at large, slowly poisoning themselves and making decisions that don't benefit them, what are you going to do? Sit down, shut up and just hope for the best? No. No, it is my love, my love for you all that makes me come out and say these things in my gentle yet direct manner. Excuse me while I have a little drinky-poo. Oh, that is quite lovely. Okay, onward and forward. Today, I believe, is June the 9th, 2021. What do we have in store for you in today's show? I don't know. I think we're going to do quack, which we always do. A little pat of poetry. Of course, we're going to do tarot a go go because I get into trouble if I don't do that one. We also have the cryptic mystic, a little bit of weird and wacky historical tidbits. And, of course, our cocktail of the day, which is always my favorite part. Where should we start? Let's start, as we generally always do, with quack. The reason we started the show. Questions, answers, comments. We want to hear the musings of your minds, the rumblings of your hearts, and on occasion, the bored marigmas of your intestines. I have no idea where I come up with the stuff. It's probably the cocktails. But if you would like to share the contents of your fabulous minds on this beacon of awesomeness that is Metaphysical Martini, send your emails to me, oni at oniavidician.com. Or via snail mail to Cosmic Ani, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, America the Beautiful. And let me know if you wish to be identified or how you wish to be identified, or else I shall refer to you as omit personal details, which is just so impersonal, really, isn't it? Alrighty, let us shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity 
so that we can quote from the gospel of eternal outrage and let us see what falls out. Shaky, shaky. All right. Our first email comes from Alejandro, in uh, who lives near Tulare, California. Ooh, I know where that is. I've been there. And Alejandro says, Dear Ani, it is amazing and disturbing to see people in this country who were born here and have every advantage imaginable insult the American way. Don't they see how far this country has come in a short period of history? If someone has built a good house and a good life for themselves and their family, so good that others want to come and to copy it and build the same for themselves, why would they want to destroy it? We came here with papers 10 years ago to be Americans. We came from a place where we had to line up for food and be careful what we said. We came to America to escape government control. To see Americans who were born here accept this tyranny is heartbreaking. Please tell me we will overcome this. Humans are born free. Alejandro, I get so many letters like this. Really, two or three every single week. Well, let me tell you, we will overcome this. Mankind is being sorely tested. And the test is this. Do we deserve the free will or not? Will we reach critical mass in the critical thinking department and kick the corporate overlords in the cojones? Or will we become deep state homies? Humans are born free. Free will is a universal God-given right. But on physical realms where God is oftentimes forgotten and egos grow out of proportion causing an imbalance in the order of things, those God-given rights are something we, on occasion, have to fight for. So that brings up a really good question, something I think we should all be asking ourselves these days. So you say humans are free. What is freedom? How do we define it? Do we go by the Encyclopedia Britannica def definitions? I mean, what is freedom? The power or right to act, speak or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. The absence of subjection to foreign domination or despotic government. The state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. The state of being physically unrestricted and able to move easily. Yup, it's all those things. The state of not being subject to or affected by a particular thing. That's okay. The power of self-determination attributed to one's will. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I get it. It's all of those things. It is all of those things, of course. Every human being has the God-given right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Governments, in my opinion, should be small and have limited power. People should be big and have a moral compass that guides all interaction. That's where it, you see, that's the thing. Nobody gets that. Alignment with cosmic intelligence. That's where it all starts, because that equals self-respect. Alignment with the divine, knowing that the biggest relationship in your life is that with supreme cosmic intelligence, leads you to respect yourself in the same way as the divine respects you. 
that leads to what we call soul sovereignty. And soul sovereignty leads to respect of community and the ability to handle autonomy, which is the freedom from external control or influence, its independence. True freedom, it starts from inner knowing, to thine own self be true, to thine own self be true. And from time to time, such as today, oppressive regimes may stomp their boots and take physical measures to restrict some of our freedoms on a physical realm. And how we react to that is a measure of how well we understand the meaning of freedom. Now, I accept the Big Brother has royally messed up people's heads. But here's what else I see. Those who are aligned with the bigger picture those who know that no matter what Big Brother tries to do, their freedom comes from within and is aligned with divine mind. And despite unethical temporary measures, freedom of mind cannot be taken from them. And they will assess the situation and adjust the way they live their lives accordingly. I have no doubt we will get to the other side of this poop fest. But until then, know that freedom means being as self-sufficient as possible. Big picture first always, yes. Lofty ideals at the top of the page always, but on physical realms, the greater part of freedom is being as self-reliant as possible and certainly not being reliant on the state. This is the best definition of freedom I can give you for today's world. The maximum level of self-sufficiency you can manage physically and emotionally. So, say your local grocery store won't let you in without a mask. Don't shop there. You're free not to shop there. Go somewhere else. Hint, the more rural the area, in my experience, the less they care about anything state-sanctioned and the more they respect freedom of choice. I have a grocery store, a very good one, a very short walk from my house, but I won't shop there because I refuse to wear a mask and they don't like that. So I don't like them. And so I drive 10 miles to shop at another grocery store, same company, different location. But the difference in attitude is night and day. It is actually a pleasure to shop there, and I'm happy to exchange my cash for their produce. We have to work at freedom, you know. You can't reclaim your freedom if you're lazy. We have to put some effort into it. You know, we have to focus on not being dependent on the state as much as possible and what that means to us, what that would look like. It means making changes in our lives. If we value freedom, we will adjust our lives to work around the imposed restrictions instead of just rolling over and acquiescing to anything they come up with. Fighting for freedom means, at the very least, you must be willing to be inconvenienced. Mm, that is a good drink. Look, I'm horrified by how many people just rolled over and said, well, if I have to wear a mask to go about my business, I guess that's what I'll do. Well, 
if I have to get injected with a medical experiment for a condition that doesn't actually exist, just to go about my business and not be inconvenienced, I guess that's what I'll do. That, my darlings, is not the definition of a fighter for freedom. That is the definition of someone who has given up and is just going through the motions. Peeps ask me for links to websites or articles, anything that supports my point of view. And I go through, well, I put a lot of research into it and I send these articles and videos, etc. along to them. And then when I follow up and I say, did you view them? Did you read the attachments? A typical response is, well, the videos you, spent, you sent me, they were over an hour long and I just don't have that much time and I didn't know where to start and... So, look, if you won't invest an hour of your precious time to see whether or not you have been conned by the greatest crime against humanity in your lifetime, duh, I mean, would you rather just comply with whatever instruction some pillock in a white coat on the magic box gives you? No wonder our world is in such upheaval. Okay, Annie, you're off track. Back to freedom of self-sufficiency. All right, this won't apply to rural areas because they tend to be quite self-sufficient. But living in suburban and urban areas where, you know, amenities are centralized and conveniently placed, it has made us dependent on chain supply and therefore dependent on a grid, on a system, and therefore basically dependent and easily manipulated. So here's a thought, because, you know, I'm very serious about this freedom being self-sufficiency. Here's a thought. Here's a hypothetical scenario. The grid goes down tomorrow morning and stays down for several weeks. And don't say it can't happen because it can. Remember the recent weather crisis in Texas? Their grid was minutes from crashing completely. And by all accounts, it would have taken three months or more to get it back up. Don't get me started on the infrastructure of this country. Deep State have taken all the money out of this country and allowed the infrastructure to collapse. If you take a look at the American grid, there's basically east seaboard, west seaboard, and the bit in the middle that's, the, that's Texas. And they're not really connected to each other. If one fails, it fails. They're not going to be able to get much help from anybody else. So the grid goes down tomorrow. How free do you feel? Based on what you have in your primary location, how well will you fare? Is your shelter adequate? Can you stay warm? Do you have enough food for a few weeks? Do you have enough water to drink, to cook, to wash yourself? Because if you can't get to the hospital, cleanliness is very important. What will you do if you can't flush your toilet? People don't think about this, but how free will you feel when you don't have the basic skills to dispose of your back-end business? Will you run down to the store, to Home Depot, and buy what you need the day the good goes down? Because they will be all sold out of anything worth having in a day or two. And let's say you can make it through a week or two or even three. How free will you feel when they announce the grid won't be back up for months and the stores have not been replenished? And your neighbors, normally pretty decent people, are now hungry and angry and uh, looking a bit menacing. 
Being a prisoner in your own home is not freedom. Look, the point I'm making is simple. Modern urban living has its conveniences when everything is wine and roses. But when the wine dries up as chain supply fails and hungry people are deciding on the best way to eat the roses, then modern living becomes the proverbial dystopian nightmare. So, if we are going to learn anything from today's manufactured crisis, it is that how we choose to build our communities is a measure of how well we understand or not the meaning of freedom. There is a reason the establishment wants to push Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, and cram everyone into tiny apartments in densely populated urban areas. Rats in boxes, lock them up, put a wall around them, restrict their mobility, feed them from one central location, and if they rebel, cut off the food supply. And since they have grown lazy through dependence on the state, it won't be more than a few days before they will beg for scraps under the establishment's fully laden table. Do we want freedom? Of course we do. Well, then we have to stand up and take it and kick anyone who attempts to stop you. We need to kick them hard, right in the nuts, right where it counts. Because you cannot comply your way out of tyranny. You have to bloody your knuckles. <clears throat> Grassroots people, that's where it's at. This New World Takeover, this New World Order Takeover, it's been in the works for decades. And, you know, people have been warning about it for decades. But it's the slow boiling frog analogy, isn't it? Your freedom is infringed incrementally so as not to disturb you and so as not to motivate you into taking action. And one day it's a fake pandemic with two weeks to flatten the curve. And the next day it's show me your papers or stay home. No jab, no job. When we pray, we have to move our feet. And when we pray, we shouldn't ask the divine to fix things for us. We should ask the divine to give us the means to play a meaningful part in the solution. We co-created this physical realm together for the sole purpose of bringing the glory of our true nature to it, to assist in the expansion of universal consciousness, to affirm that we are indeed gods in bods, to bring light to the darkest parts of the universe. How does wearing a mask with no good reason serve that purpose? It does not. It serves the establishment's purpose to separate humanity from its cosmic connection, to separate humans from each other. And how does injecting yourself with an experimental pharmaceutical concoction for no good reason serve that purpose? It does not. It serves the establishment's purpose to separate humanity from its cosmic connection and to separate humans from each other. Our compliance assures our obsolescence. If anyone thinks out there you're liberating yourself from a virus by doing as you're told, think again. Do you think you're setting yourself free? I'll say it one more time. You cannot comply your way out of tyranny. Tyranny that is being misrepresented and sold to you as liberalism. There's nothing wrong with being a liberal. I'm not one, but there's nothing wrong with being a liberal. But what's happening now isn't liberalism. It's stupidity. 
So here's our exercise for the week, my darlings. Everybody go home and ask yourself, what does freedom mean to me? All of the families that, uh, if there's any out there left still, that pray together and have their evening meal together, some of you read scripture around the table and all of that. Well, one night, skip the scripture and let's see how that scripture has served you over the years and ask each other the question, what does freedom mean to me? On that, I will sip my excellent drinky poo. All right, Alejandro, thank you for that question, which opened a whole can of worms, which are now crawling all over my desk. All right, so here we go. I just want to say one more thing. I love this country. I love the American way. The American way is the way that will lead the world in secular spiritualism. And I will die before I see this country colonized by the beast. So get out there and do your grassroots thingies. All right, another question. Whew, that was a tough one. All right, this is from Ludmilla. Ludmilla says, dear Annie, I am studying food and wine pairing. Ah, oh, excellent. What a noble course of study. May I ask what type of beverage you would pair with a classic strawberry shortcake and also with a classic peanut butter and jelly sandwich and, of course, the ubiquitous apple pie? Lud Miller, what an excellent question. Let me give it some thought. Hmm. Let me start with the PBJ, because I'm going to have to say, instead of pairing it with a beverage, no, I'm not going to pair it with an alcoholic beverage because PBJ is sticky. And I think a cup of tea actually is probably the best thing in the world to wash that down. But instead of pairing it, why not create a peanut butter and jelly cocktail? I would recommend getting some screwball peanut butter whiskey. Yes, it exists and it's actually quite nice. And some Chambord liqueur, which is a raspberry liqueur. And I would take a lowball glass, put one large ice cube in that glass, and I would pour, say, one measure of Chambord slowly over the ice cube, and then gently pour two measures of the peanut butter whiskey over that. And don't mix it. Don't shake it, because then it becomes a whole other thing. Just let it do its thing and melt into itself. And then... Just gently sip it. I think you'll be very happy. Um, and you'll get a buzz from it, which you won't get from a PB&J. Now, uh, let's see. What was your next question? Pairing a classic strawberry shortcake with a wine or other beverage. Hmm. Well, my choice for a wine would be a sweet wine, but you have to have one with good acid. And I would go for a nice bottle of Riesling. Now, you won't go wrong with that. Um, my personal preference, though, it would be a demi-sec champagne with a little drop of sweet liqueur at the bottom. Something like Kier Royale does very good service with champagne. Or, you know, just experiment. Go to your local liquor store and ask them for fruit liqueurs and buy those little tiny airline-sized bottles and just experiment putting them in champagne. Apple pie, one of my favorites, really. Well, of course, you can certainly go with a Riesling. But you could also go with a dry marsala. That's very good with apple pie. And you'll do just fine with either of those. But my personal favorite with apple pie is apple jack. 
In the winter, I would probably make an Applejack hot toddy with my apple pie. And when it's not winter, I'll probably have a small shot of straight Applejack. Um, Applejack is a slightly sweet apple brandy, and it's delicious. For the longest time in the 1800s and through the earlier 1900s, it was America's favorite beverage. Not sure why it fell from grace, but I think it's a must in every mixologist's cabinet. Lovely, spicy apple brandy, a little bit on the sweet side, but quite delicious. Well, thank you for that question, Ludmilla. Please know that martini heads are standing by and always ready to help you with your food and beverage pairing needs. No challenge is too great. No inquiry too insignificant. Here at Martini Central, we put the OG in mixology. Okay, that was terrible. Moving on. Shall we take another question? Let's do that. Let's be brave. Uh, here's one. Yes, let's, let's do this one. This comes from Omit Personal Details, who says, Dear Miss Avedisian, what are your views on critical race theory? Whew, I can sum that up in one word for you. Rubbish! Why would anyone entertain such a ridiculous concept? That's beyond me. Perhaps people have become ridiculous. Perhaps life has become, by design, unnecessarily busy. Too busy for parents to pay attention to school curriculums and too busy for parents to teach their progeny common courtesy, common sense, moral development and a sense of awe and wonder in cosmic co-creation. When we choose to become parents, we are accepting the responsibility of guardianship for a manifestation of source energy, choosing to have an individualized experience as a human it is our responsibility to make sure that soul is aligned with universal principles and not farmed off somewhere to be indoctrinated and turned into cattle for processing at some globalist slaughterhouse. Fooey on CRT, I say. Big fat fooey. If critical race theory is taught at your children's school, you should join a homeschooling unit, ASAP, because CRT is part of the whole New World agenda to destroy the family and to destroy community. Thank you for the question. Let's take one more before moving on to the other segments. And this is from Flying Saucer. Um, you know what? That's not your real name. But OK. Flying Saucer wants to know if Hillary Clinton is still alive because he or she heard a rumor of Hillary's execution. Well, uh, Flying Saucer. Since I no longer work for the Department of Obscure and Secretive Interactions, I asked a couple of trusted uh, sources, let's say, on the other side, the, the same sources who confirmed my suspicions that Putin was murdered and all that. And guess what? They say she, Hillary Clinton, favoured minion of the Dark Lords of Hades, was indeed executed on the gallows at Gitmo. Well, that's all I can tell you because I have no hard proof. My other world sources, they've never steered me wrong in this sort of thing. So I'm just going to take their word for it right now. It sometimes takes months, if not years, for their information to become public. But they have always been accurate. Whenever I've remote viewed Hillary Clinton, it's always been a bit of a challenge, actually. A clone here, a clone there, a double here, a double there. We don't know where she is. Sometimes she's in poor mental health. But I'm going to have to say I'm going to agree with my friends. The dark lady is no longer 
And in this, I do hope they are correct, because that woman was so deeply embedded in deep state ideology, people with refined, subtle sense could see the diabolical coding in her energy anatomy. You could literally hear the voices in her head. I wonder where she is now. The soul, I mean. Is she in the lowest region of heaven, or is she in the softball-sized realm outside heaven? The realm designed as a holding cell for the darkest sociopaths, the ones beyond redemption. I don't know. I'll have to look into that. Well, I think probably that's it for questions, answers, and comments today. Keep them coming and keep the dialogue flowing. And I want to thank you, um, all you contributors, because I know, you know, you probably have better things to do than sit there and write questions. But I'm always delighted to get them. And that is why we started the show. So I salute you all with a sip of my excellent cocktail. Mm. Oh, very nice. Mm. Oh, yummy, yummy, yummy. Okay. What are we going to do now? Oh, yes. Wait. It's time for Tarot A Go Go. <laughs> Where we say we're going to play a little what the heck with our favorite tarot deck. And I do believe today's card is the Five of Wands. So let's take a look at that. Let's pick it up. For those of you who follow us, we're still using the Rider. No, we're not, are we? We're using the Robin Wood deck now. Strong cocktail, sorry. Yes, this is the Robin Wood deck. So let me pick up the Five of Wands. And there it is. So it looks like a bunch of blokes hitting each other on the head with sticks. Well... Are they really fighting, though? It doesn't look like they're really hurting each other. It looks more of a sort of a fake fight. Perhaps it's just a game. Perhaps it's they're just challenging each other, you know, in the way that people do. A sort of a mock battle. But either way, um, there's some healthy competition going on there. Some physical activity, certainly. Um, it could be a guy's thing, you know, male bonding, that sort of thing. Guys going on camping trips, uh, you know, Spartan stuff, without the, you know, all the other stuff that the Spartans did. But, you know, if you want to do that too, go ahead. Um, there's something here about the need to prove yourself. Even though it's a sort of a mock battle, it is some sort of competition. If you get this card, you're going to have to put some effort into completing your project. You might have to overcome some squabbles, some petty rivalry, quarrels, that sort of thing. It could even mean legal problems. It just depends on the reading, really, and all the other cards. Um, could also mean some unexpected problems. But uh, either way, it's not going to go that smoothly. There's some sort of competition afoot there. You're going to have to prove yourself. Yeah, you know. If this is a legal situation, then you're going to have to fight for what's what's right, what's yours. Mm, yeah, it could also mean, actually, that um, sometimes it just means you've got a lot of energy to burn and you're not focused and you're going to have to find a way to channel your energies. All of these cards, of course, have so many meanings depending on what they're next to and what the question is, etc. Um, let's, let's turn it upside down. Let's turn it upside down and see how we feel about this card. Well, okay, so there's still competition there. But I feel it's more healthy. 
I do. I feel like the struggle's sort of over. Um, more of a relief after the conflict. It's almost like the conflict is over. So, yeah, that's what I go with. It, at its most positive aspect, the struggle is over and we can get on with life. Um, in its most negative aspect, I suppose we still haven't finished the argument. We still haven't finished the conflict. Um, fives, fives are interesting, you know. Fives are sort of halfway through, and they can be a very disruptive number in numerology. This could also mean reverse, that you have some secret enemies, some underhanded opponents. So there we are. The five of wands was today's card. Go and take a look at it and see what it means to you. You can go and read all these meanings in the book, but what does it mean to you? Form a relationship with your cards. That's what's important. All right. What is it going to be next? Let's take a look. Let's take a look. Ah, I think it's time for The Cryptic Mystic, where we have our way with someone dead who liked to pray. And let me have a little sip of my drinky poo to honor this uh, person. So many mystics to choose from. But today's decomposing holy roller is Grand Master Yoda, the renowned Jedi Master. Yoda says, size matters not. Look at me. Judge me by my size, do you? Hum, hum. And well, you should not, for my ally is the force and a powerful ally it is. Life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you, here, between you, between me, the tree, the rock, between your toes, and even the hairs between your nose. So Yoda, no one told us what species he belonged to. We just know that he's a... He's a male being, and he was a legendary Jedi Grandmaster, one who witnessed the rise and the fall of the Galactic Republic, and unfortunately uh, witnessed the rise of the Galactic Empire. He was very small in stature, but revered for his wisdom and his power, and he trained generations of Jedis. Because, you know, when he died, he was 900 years old. So he went through a lot of this galactic history. He was born in 896 BBY. A BBY, of course, is before the Battle of Yavin. So what do we know about Yoda specifically? Because during his time, everybody was obsessed with Anakin Skywalker, Luke Skywalker. So Yoda himself, was a leading member of the Jedi High Council. And when Anakin Skywalker was presented to the Jedi High Council as the person who was prophesied to be the chosen one to take one the darkness, Yoda and a couple of other Jedi masters sensed that this boy, who was Anakin Skywalker, who later became Darth Vader, was so full of fear and anger that he would not make a good Jedi and they declined to train him. 
But there was so much else going on during that time that the Jedi High Council changed their minds. And even though Grandmaster Yoda was against it, they decided to train Anakin Skywalker. But we all know what happened, don't we? Yes. The ancient nemesis of the Jedi, the Sith, they had returned after a millennium in hiding. Now, there's the rule of two with the Sith. It's like the Navy Seals. Two is one, one is none. There's always two. And our wonderful Jedi Grand Master Yoda set out to find this out. Find out the Sith Lords and bring them down. He was very disappointed, though, because his his uh, his Padawan, his apprentice, Count Dooku, threatened to secede from the Republic. And it seemed that the Jedi were unable to defend the entire Republic on their own against all this pending darkness. And so they took command of this newly formed Grand Army of the Republic. And Yoda himself led the army of clone troopers against the separatist droid army of the Confederacy of Independent Systems in the first battle of the Clone Wars. My golly, and we thought Iraqi veterans had a hard time of it. Well, let's just say that Yoda did his best to bring a decisive end to the conflict. But just when we thought everything was going to go well, Darth Sidious, the Dark Lord of the Sith, who conspired to destroy the Jedi, came into power. And there was a great Jedi purge that killed thousands of Jedi all across the galaxy. And great Grand Master Yoda himself confronted the self-declared Galactic Emperor. But he failed to cut short the Dark Reign and consequently retreated into exile, leaving the Sith Master to consolidate his power with a new apprentice, And that new apprentice was, of course, none other than Anakin Skywalker, who turned into Darth Vader. This really pissed Yoda off. So he spent the rest of his life living in isolation in his remote homeworld of Dagobah until Anakin's son, Luke Skywalker, sought him out with the hope of becoming a Jedi. And that's pretty much all we know about Grandmaster Yoda. It is said that Dooku's betrayal of the light convinced Yoda that once a Jedi turned to the dark side, that Jedi was beyond redemption. Again, you know, Yoda was wise and he was compassionate. But he was convinced that any type of personal attachment was a potential window of opportunity for the darkness to enter and take over. And it certainly didn't help that Anakin Skywalker remodeled himself as Darth Vader. However, the spirit of Yoda is channeled channeled to this day by all true Jedi warriors in need of focus and guidance and, of course, some tough love. I would say that Grandmaster Yoda, he was the most stoic of all of the Jedi Masters, and I believe it is correct to say He was the most revered and the most powerful. He represents a highly mysterious and complex character. His intelligence, his wisdom, his skill excels that of most Jedi Masters. And his age and wisdom, as well as his deep connection to the Force, proved to be enviable and formidable. Throughout his long life, 
he proved himself to be wise and kind, but a strict teacher. But he was quick to comfort, quick to guide. He was also quick to warn and express disapproval in the face of wrongdoing. And he was also known as being a bit of a mischief. He had superpowers. The power of the force, despite his small size and advanced age, gave him immense power. He was very, very strong. He was one with the force. Yes, he had telekinesis. He could telekinetically move objects to other individuals without physically touching them. He could cause chaos with all of that. He was capable of doing the Jedi force push where he can telekinetically send his, his opponents flying through the air, causing serious injury and temporarily incapacitating, knocking them unconscious. He also had the force pull, where he could pull his opponents and objects towards him and then smack them very hard on the head. He was capable of the force repel, where he could unleash a wave of pure force energy that knocks back and repels anything within the power's blast radius. And he could push multiple opponents away from himself simultaneously. He had the force grip. He could lift his opponents in the air and make them feel as though he was strangling them. And then he could throw them against the wall. He could also, he was also adept at uh, the force barrier, which apparently is very difficult to achieve, where you can create a barrier or a wall of force energy in front of you. And it surrounds you and your allies can't come through. And of course, he was absolutely wonderful at the mind trick. All Jedis could convince you to, um, well, they could, they could wrap your mind around their little finger. And of course, let's not forget that he was a master lightsaber duelist. Yes, despite his small size and his advanced age, he was extremely skilled revered and adored. I'd like to share three little quotes from Master Yoda. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Another quote from Grand Master Yoda. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. Now, that is actually a really good suggestion. And, of course, the one that everyone knows him for. Do or do not. There is no try. Ah, Grand Master Yoda. Very difficult to get an accurate history on him, especially since I know he was real. But those films they made about him, they start with one movie, then they go backwards, then they go forwards, prequel, sequel. Nobody knows what happened or who anybody is by the end of all of this. All right, people, what haven't we done for quite a while? <coughs> we haven't done a little pat of poetry. Yes, folks, after a hard day's shamaning. I like nothing better than coming home, putting my feet up, pouring myself a nice cup of tea or a small drinky pool, and writing really bad, non-peer-reviewed poetry. Why have Shakespeare and literary prowess when you can have me, Cosmic Arnie, and a whole lot less? Today's poem is entitled... Is it, or is it just titled? Today's poem is titled The Midwestern Casserole. Thank you very much. 
As my story unravels, you will find I am quite well-travelled. Adventure stimulates my spirit. I log my chronicles in terms most explicit. Where there's a new delicacy to be tasted, where there is a game bird to be basted, when someone cries, New England fish fry, I'll show up with a gift of a homemade pie. I have eaten things exotic. Some were good. Some were downright toxic. I have eaten eyeballs and entrails and battered fried brains, and now I know I will never eat them again. But I am no coward and therefore had very few passes, namely things that wiggled and things that came out of arses. I've done the Tour d'Argent and had breakfast at the Ritz. I've had good chops at Simpson's, and in Texas I ate grits. But my favourite food of all, the one that soothes my soul, is a good old-fashioned Midwestern Campbell's casserole. The mushroom soup alone is quite frankly inedible, but when transformed into a roux, it's really quite incredible. The cream of celery sucks. I wouldn't give it to a dying duck, but use it as a thickened sauce and holy smoke, it rocks. From north to south, from east to west, from mountains to areas coastal, I have to say my favourite dish was found at a Missouri Alter Guild Social. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I want to dedicate that to my partner, um, who is a Missourian and many wonderful things, but primarily a Missourian. So cheers to everybody there in Kansas City. Mm. All righty. Let's see if we have time. Yes, we do have time. We have time for weird and wacky historical tidbits. Well, let's see what we came up with this week. Ah, yes, tea, tea. Now, although Brits are famous for their obsession with tea, it was an American who ultimately revolutionized the tea drink. And this chap was called Thomas Sullivan because he's credited with creating tea bags. And did he create them for convenience? Well, people asked him for samples of tea. And so he would send the samples in silk bags. And people started to throw the silk bags with tea in them in the teapot. And that's how tea bags came to be. And the rest is history. So there we are. Good on you, Mr. Thomas Sullivan, for revolutionizing our tea. I have another one here. Oh, yes. I was uh, I was wanting some candy floss the other day, which uh, we call here candy, uh, cotton candy. So I found out that cotton candy was invented by a dentist <laughs> in 1897. This dentist partnered with a confectioner and they created cotton candy, which at the time they called fairy floss, which is sweet, actually. Anyway, eventually, another dentist created a similar fairy floss. Um, actually, no, he didn't. He created a machine to make fairy floss and called that confection cotton candy. So that's the origins of our cotton candy. A dentist invented it. Somebody else invented the machine. And once they invented the machine, it went into every fair that there was and every zoo and every circus. And I love cotton candy, so I'm so glad that happened. 
Staying with the candy theme, did any of you have Pez dispensers? I know I did. I, I loved them and I collected them and I collected all sorts of different flavors. Um, so the name of Pez candy apparently comes from the German word for peppermint, which is uh, pfefferminz. So Pez originally marketed them as an anti-smoking device. And in fact, um, somewhere around the 1920s, uh, there was a slogan that said, you know, you walk into a bar or whatever, smoking prohibited, pezzing allowed. So Pez was the original anti-smoking device. How wonderful. Good to know. A little tidbit there. Oh, this was interesting to me. Uh, my partner likes uh, a chocolate bar called Three Musketeers. And it never occurred. I just didn't know why it was called Three Musketeers. There wasn't anything about it that looked like Porthos, Athos and D'Artagnan, or there wasn't anything three about it. So I did a bit of research. And this candy was originally called Three Musketeers because it originally had vanilla, strawberry and chocolate candy in it. One, two, three. But during World War Two, because of rationing, they converted it to just chocolate, but they didn't change the name. So there we are. Now I know. What else? What else? What else? Ah, yes. There's something called a Twinkie that I think most Americans are familiar with. Um, it's not really a food group, is it? It's one of those things that you want to have in your God forbid if the nuclear holocaust comes and there's nothing left to eat kit. Because apparently Twinkies, they just they never expire. So I wasn't surprised to find that there are 37 ingredients in what looks like a simple baked good with cream in the middle. But you see, the cream in the middle of a Twinkie isn't cream. It's mainly vegetable shortening. So it really is Frankenfood, isn't it? Mm. What else on the food theme? Oh, yes. Um, the first wedding cake was not sweet. It was actually savory. When we look at records of wedding cakes, we go back to ancient Rome. And when a groom sealed his marriage with his wife, he smashed a barley cake over the bride's head. Well, that started off the marriage in a very good way, didn't it? All right. And for some reason, oh, yes, I rem how I got onto this one. I was looking at um, things for my preppers kit. And for whatever reason, I got onto corned beef, which I actually detest as a food group. But I found out that there's this chap who is an astronaut, and his name was John Young. And he smuggled a corned beef sandwich onto his spacecraft for a six-hour mission. Wow. Now, the sandwich didn't do very well in zero-gravity conditions. And the astronaut Young quickly put it back in his pocket after letting it out because this could have had grave consequences. You know, zero gravity, floating crumbs, debris, they could have caused damage to the shuttle. But luckily, they returned to Earth safely, and NASA, not a space agency, took bold steps to make sure that sandwiches never boldly went where no one had gone before. They freeze-dry everything now, don't they, anyway, if you go up into space and put things into little sealed packets. What else? I had one more little food tidbit. Ah, oh, yes, here it is. 
hot dogs, something else that isn't, strictly speaking, a food group. Um, on July the 4th, apparently on any given July the 4th, the number of hot dogs eaten can stretch from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles and back five times. So for anyone that isn't familiar with the sheer size of the USA, that would take approximately 36 days to walk from D.C. to L.A. without stopping. So to do it five times would take you half a year, again, without stopping. So that's an awful lot of hot dogs, isn't it? Yes. All right. Well, there we are. Um, that was weird and wacky little tidbits. My how time is flying. Let me have a little sip of my drinky poo here. Mm. Before we wrap things up, my darlings, let me just remind you that my website is arniavadician.com. If you go to my website, you can sign up for my newsletter, Monday Message. It is short, it is sweet, it is full of buttery goodness, and it will give you a heads up on everything that I'm doing that month. I have classes, speaking engagements, cosmic conversations, and God knows what else. It's all on the website, so go check it out. Just about everything is via Zoom these days, but I still do make house calls where appropriate. And that said, I think I'm going to start to wrap it up and say, my darlings, I think that's it for today. I am finishing my drink as fast as I can, but not too fast so I don't burp. And that means the end of the show. And I hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording it because I had a blast. I always do. Now, I know we did a few cocktails earlier on, but we still have another cocktail to go. So today's real-life cocktail is an RAF cocktail, RAF Royal Air Force. And this is how you make it. You take two ounces of Applejack, one ounce of good apricot brandy, and the juice of half a fresh lemon. You put it in a shaker that's filled with ice, and you shaky, 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 shaky to really integrate the flavors. And then you pour it into a glass with the rocks and you drink it. And it's absolutely very yummy. Now, remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. I'm Arnie Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Arnie Avedisian, the suburban shaman. Production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you.